0: Hello and welcome to the writers and illustrators of the future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to the podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate if you took a moment and followed it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. I've had many questions regarding should I promote myself as an artist? And if so, how do I go about doing so? Well, today's guest has worked on television and is the creator and producer of celebrity interview show, The Red Booth, quickly growing it from local TV to national cable to now being broadcast in multiple countries. She's had a lifetime of experience in the media industry, beginning with print and runway modeling as a teen. Her work soon evolved into writing and directing short films and acting in numerous shorts and TV programming, including in HBO and other national and international networks. In 2006, she formed Druid Pictures, which was the company which helped develop several feature films and then went on to produce the national TV show, The Red Booth, where she not only served as CEO, but was involved in all aspects of film development and production, from financing to distribution and more. I've been a guest on her show numerous times, so I'm happy to be able to sit on the other side of the interview table. Welcome, Kimberly Quigley.
1: (laughs) Hi, John. This is so nice. Thank you very much for having me on the show.
0: No, this is great because... As I said in the intro, I've had a lot of people ask, and that's one of the favorite parts of the week-long workshop, too, is the training and drilling on how to do media interviews. So then I had this idea, why don't I ask the people who I've been on the shows with to give their take on it, their perspective of what makes a good and bad interview and how to prepare for it and other little things that somebody wouldn't otherwise know were they not an actual celebrity interviewer. So to begin with, what makes for a good interview?
1: Well, um, first of all, I just have to say, this is very funny to be interviewed by you because I think I've had you on the show maybe three or four times at least. And I've interviewed so many people, I think maybe at least 250 interviews I've done. So it's funny to be on the other side and being interviewed. But I, I think it gives me a great insight into what works and what doesn't, um, you know, as well from the guest point of view. So right. I think that's really, really cool that you reached out to me about this and I hope that. My tips are helpful and um, I definitely think that, you know, it's important for artists to promote themselves in many ways. Don't ever rely on your agent or manager, although of course they can be very helpful. From my experience over the many interviews that I've done, mostly who are independent artists, filmmakers, musicians, writers, you know, and and such, is that the fact that they have to do something proactive and they usually get a lot more success that way. So I think this will be very helpful. So some of the do's and don'ts, I think, um, do you mean like when you're actually in the interview? Because I think there's also
0: how you, you, do you know get- all aspects of interviews, preparing, arrival, the actual interview itself. You know, we'll get into the manners, uh, how to answer, how to prepare for, what to say, not to say, and that type of thing. So I guess we'll just start with the beginning, of like preparing for the interview before you even get to the station.
1: Right. Well- what I've done, I mean, my show was one of the early shows that had no script or, or you know, it wasn't like pre-produced or it was very, very free flowing and people were being themselves on the show for real. And so that's very much the format that I think is now very popular as well with podcasting becoming so popular. And I think the main thing that, that you can do in that situation is make bullet points of topics that you think might be interesting. But you don't have to worry about, you know, memorizing a script or memorizing what you were going to say exactly verbatim. Um, don't get too worried about it, and just keep in mind those bullet points that you might have written down earlier. Just, it's always good to sort of refresh your memory, and you you probably might, you know, uh, shake something up loose that you go, oh yeah, I w- I, I want to make sure I bring that up during the interview. So, um, you know, I've had some people who were on my show and tried to read off of notes during the interview. And, you know, I think that, I think it was not really necessary, um, although it may make you feel more comfortable um, when you have something there next to you on the side, it's your it's gonna be noticeable if you're on camera. Um, so I would say just try to be as casual and comfortable and be yourself, but make sure beforehand to just come up with as many summary genres or topics or bullet points that you might wanna cover during the interview. And of course it depends on how long the interview is because it may be just a quick little social media, you know, few minutes, um, or it may be a full podcast where you're really gonna dive deep and get into a lot of things.
0: Now on your show that you do on on The Red Booth, for example, how long Mm -hmm. are your segments?
1: So the way that we shot the show, we we had a half an hour show, plus, you know, we would have to cut in commercials. So uh, in the beginning, we would just do sort of a free form interview and then just chop it up and try and make it fit. But that was a little bit of a difficult editing job. Um, so and it just also, I think, ended up having like lots of leftovers and then we'd have special features. And so what we ended up doing instead is we just had six minutes of the show and then two minutes of commercials and then six minutes of the show and two minutes of commercials. And that's a pretty standard format, but we shot it actually to fit the format. So I would try to, you know, I would get a notice from somebody, uh, you know, behind the scenes waving me to to wrap it up. And then we would actually cut, which is, I think not always the way that, you know, the TV shows do it. They might, unless they're live, then they'll do that. But we sort of were like a live show in that way. But, you know, then we would have editing afterwards. And I think that's also another factor that should make you feel comfortable if you are doing a pre-recorded show and then they're going to edit it and put it out, which, you know, sometimes makes people happy because they can take out certain things. Uh, One one agreement that I always had with my guests is that if there was something that came up in the interview that they that they didn't want me to keep in the show, I would take it out Um, because sometimes people just end up, you know, getting into something and then realizing later, oh, that's not something I should talk about or whatever it is. And then they, you know, I I always was very respectful to my guests. And I think that it's important to be, um, you know, on a platform and with an interviewer that you feel comfortable with and safe with. And it'll go so much better in that case.
0: Yeah, now when that brings up a good point, because there's different types of media. With Writers of the Future, we pretty much only book, or not pretty much, we only book our, um, our uh, winners on safe or allied media. We won't book them on like morning drive, which sometimes can get pretty um, intense. That I mean, that's radio. But right. um, also some of the big national, they go for the controversy. That's the main hook that they go on. Everything has got to have some type of point of controversy. We don't go for those media specifically because we don't have the the well-trained political spokesperson or somebody who's done a lot of drilling and so they can handle those types of things. So we make sure it's like that. But on, on, on doing TV, I mean, it's live and you've got anywhere from a minute and a half to three minutes, three minutes is if they really like you and you're less doing, you know, you're hitting out of the park. Um, yeah. So on that, I think it's, you know, it is important that a person realize that on live TV, there is no take backs, you know, can we go back 30 seconds? You know, it's,
1: you know, <laughs> yeah, carpets like you know, uh, and uh, you know, special social events that that's going to happen too. There's just, you know, it, it's live. It's, you've got those few 30 seconds to say whatever, you know? And I mean, the good thing about those situations is usually you're not going to have a confrontational or adversarial um, interviewer on those type of, you know, uh events um red carpets and things like that
0: so like at the um rise the future red carpet events which you which you cover those are different types because those are the short sound bites those are like the 30 seconds 60 seconds that you're going to get because you've got to squeeze the 24 winners the 25 30 judges whatever celebrities into (laughs) your piece and it's so they can't go on and on and on because if you're going to cover everybody and then of course you've got my 10 minutes worth you know you're going to have to uh um, <laughs> make it so that you can just get the sound bites so that leads me to the the next question on sound bites so you do the longer format stuff mm-hmm. the um that's more like the very comfortable chatting you know but when you get into the red carpet or on news media sound bites is really important how much is sound bites an important factor for you as well
1: well i think when we're when we're putting together a promo for something we want to have something we can sort of grab onto that's either funny or more personal um, you know cute little moments we'll even use behind the scenes clips sometimes even more than just the regular interview because it sometimes people sort of stiffen up if if they're no okay this is the official interview so we'll catch these really great moments and I think I think just being as comfortable as you can and sort of being yourself um and trying to give something cute or just promote your project something about why you love your project you know or why you're happy to be there Um, those are you know gracious comments that are always appreciated and um any personal little stories that might have to do with your travels or coming there or why it's a big deal to you or, or I think people appreciate that too in those kind of scenarios.
0: Okay, so when you're doing an interview, um, what are some of the typical questions you'll ask of an author or artist?
1: Well, for the Red Booth show, I would you know I would start off with introductions. I would start off asking them, what got them involved in this in the first place like how what inspired them to do this Uh and what sort of projects they have done in their in their past and then what they're working on now and you depending on you know how many projects they have obviously will tell more stories about each one of them if they have something interesting to cover uh so if you're if you're an author we would definitely want to talk about, you know, what got you started writing and what was what's your reason for writing and how do you how do you come up with your concepts or what are some of the, the backstories to you coming up with the story? That's always interesting. And just really explain um, what you're working on now and what your process might be for doing that. I think those are definitely things we would cover, especially for a writer.
0: Right. And for an artist, which could also fall in the same category of, I mean, with an artist and illustrator, you've got some beautiful art. You've got that you can see, but it's all probably not too dissimilar to like a musician as well, talking about the art, which is obviously very personal and dear to them.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think that it's a similar kind of line of questioning as, you know, the, the, the artist, it, in any different genre kind of has a, a similar story where they started to get inspired by that, that sort of medium and then get involved with it. And, and you'll tell, they'll tell their stories how they first started doing it. And then um, especially for visual arts, obviously you wanna have some sort of press pack or, or, or images that you're gonna show them or that they're gonna show during the interview. And you can talk about those images that you've created and you know things that it, that that made you think of um, the concepts that's in those pictures.
0: So on, um, okay. So in terms of of um, having a guest, have there been times and you've had that, like it, you know, you're looking forward to something and you're you're going at it, but then what the guest did that was just a total turnoff. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm done with this guy. I'm gonna try. It you know, we're supposed to go for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, but I'm going to like try to finish as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. What would be one of those examples?
1: Um, Luckily that hasn't happened too often. I think the the worst case scenario that I've run into was once I've had somebody who was just kind of mean (laughs) and I didn't end up using their interview at all. So, and uh, other than that, uh, someone who just doesn't speak much or or is sort of freezes up and only says one word answers and, you know, doesn't really get into anything, it's not that interesting. So unfortunately, even if I'm wanting them to explain something and I'm being supportive and I'm trying to ask them questions, if they are too nervous or too shy to you know, give more information and explain themselves more. And they, like I said, do like one word answers, then there's not going to be a lot there for the viewers because they're there. You have to realize that they're there to hear your story and they want to know about you. And if you keep that in mind, then it can help with, you know, that anxiety of not knowing what to say or do and just be yourself.
0: Right. Yeah. I've got um, actually one of our judges for writers the future uh, commented because I do this thing on on uh, I said teaching on on how to do media interviews from my perspective, and he said that one time he was booking he had got a book came out, and he went to the um, TV station and they interviewed him and said, "Okay, so you got a book coming out uh-huh and so it's it's another science fiction facet, yes and uh <laughs> I was just saying one word answers and it was just one of those quickest interviews. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I wish you all the best. So yeah. um, one
1: trick. That's a good point actually, because sometimes as the interviewer, you may give them the whole question. Like you're kind of saying, Oh, so you have this book, so-and-so-and-so that you just published. And then they're then instead of just going, yes, you would say, yes. And you could then sort of repeat it back to them. Yes. I just published so-and-so book. It's so fantastic, I'm really excited you know um, which which I think would be is a helpful way of giving you a cue of something to come up with if you really can't think of anything at the moment
0: yeah so I think one one point I try to make when I when I've talked to people and that I do myself I do an interview I mean I will take and I'll run with the first question I'm given and I'll run I can do a two or three minute answer on a question just covering everything and just. You know, what I take it as is I know in advance the basic general questions that are going to be asked because that's part of the pitch that gets sent to the the host. And Mm -hmm. the host may or may not follow those questions, but at least that's what I would use to prepare my uh, interview against. And so if that person asks the first question, then that's kind of like a cue for me as the guest to fill in all the data to really expound upon that and not just give the one word answer. Yes. My book is little red riding hood. Period. You know, it's, it's an opportunity. So how much, and I think this is an important point too, that some people are just trying to be polite. So, um, you know, hello, Klimberly, how are you? I'm fine, John. Thank you very much. How are you? And very polite, you know, uh, banter when that's not the intent of a question of, how are you? Oh, I'm great. I just came out with my new book and it's, it's doing great. I did three bookstore signings and I'm so excited to be on a show with you. And then blah, 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 blah. So that person can talk, explain on that a little bit more so that they can understand that when, as a host, you ask a question, what are you expecting in response or what would you ideally get in response from the guest?
1: That's a good point. I mean, definitely uh, people can just try to follow the the normal, like manners of a conversation. Whereas we are, of course you do want to keep your manners in, but this is something that you're trying to get the story out of the person about what they're doing, their emotions about it. Um, their feelings about it. All of those things are valuable to the host and the viewers. And I think, you know, as much good news and positive things that have happened, uh, funny coincidences or, Uh, things that that you feel make it exciting for you are what's going to make it also really interesting for your guests as well. And some people do get into more personal, like if you're in a longer format interview, more personal stories. um, It could be something that they've been through even that was traumatic that has helped to inspire them to do what they're doing as well. And that's kind of your own call on that. But I definitely find Um, if you feel comfortable and open up enough about why you are so motivated to do this or that, then that's something that people really appreciate. And, you know, they'll watch those clips over and over and over. Um, I think it's just really important to, to try to remember how, how much the viewers want you to open up.
0: Yeah. Now you're talking about longer format, which I think is good because, what you do is a longer format medium, and also you're talking about podcasts. Um, that's longer format as a as a normal. Um, so that's really good. You bring it up that it's an opportunity for you to be able to just go dig a little bit deeper and have more of a personal conversation. That's right. Now that gets, but that gets the point too. Now on. The comfort factor. So, what can a guest do to to get themselves a little bit more comfortable with the uh, with the host, with the environment? Because a lot of times, most occasions, you don't know the host. You're you've been booked, or someone says, "Hey, yeah, I want you to do this." This is a it's a book show. Um, you know, even even with yourself on the red booth. You know, here you are in the, on the red booth, and um, it's not been a problem for me. But I, w- when I've had my winners on the show with you, I've tended to come with them to make sure that they felt really comfortable. And once they got to know you, then it, was, it worked out really good. But it's um, what are some of the the successful things that a person can do? I don't want to call them tricks, but what are some of the things that a person can do to help put them at ease and make for a better show?
1: Um, I mean, I guess that's that's a very – it's kind of something that has to come – bit naturally to you to feel comfortable with the person uh I, i that's a really good question i think i mean from my side of it as the host i just try to be very friendly very genuine very interested in the guest and i think that if you have an interviewer that is truly interested in your story and what you have to say which i guess you can try to make sure you pick shows that you think are really relevant and that would help ensure that the host is genuinely interested in what you're doing. And that puts you in a better, you know, conversational point with them and you're gonna feel more encouraged. And I guess that's that's from my angle what I think helps uh, Other than, other than making sure you have enough sleep, making sure you, you know, are well-fed beforehand making sure that you don't wear uncomfortable clothes. Uh, some people have had problems with that. And, oh, um, so, so if you're actually also in a live studio situation, which, you know, things have definitely changed since the the pandemic and everything. So there's a lot more web interviews going on, but if you're in a live studio, uh-huh. there's things that you should make sure like you have your microphone in a good position. They're going to set that up for you. And I had meant I had, thought of some notes on that where don't turn your head a lot of different directions when you're talking because it'll sound different on the microphone. Like sometimes if someone looks downwards and they're talking, then it will be really loud because the mic's right there. So, so those are just some little tips that, that I think are important for just being on set and being present and and able to deliver a good interview.
0: Okay. One thing that I've always tried to do is to arrive early. I'll, you know, they say be there 15 minutes in advance. I'll try to be there half hour in advance and hopefully get to meet the host and chat with him and find out. I'm talking about science fiction or like when I talk about, I go in and I talk about like Battlefield Earth, you know, mm-hmm. that's a book by L. Ron Hubbard and it was written in 1982 and we're just re-releasing it now. And I find out, if they're even following science fiction, if they're a fan of science fiction, if they've heard of Battlefield Earth or if they've heard of, of um, the author or Writers of the Future. Yes, you know, we've, we've published Writers of the Future, Science Fiction and Fantasy. And I'd, I would go and try to find out if the host was familiar with Science Fiction and Fantasy to be able to build up a bit of, of um, I guess, of a, of a feeling of comfort with that host or that they felt comfortable with me, because I also know if they are an aversion to science fiction, thinking that it's like a, a sub genre, it's, it's a sub form of writing, then they're not going to be very gracious as a host. But if they really love it, they love. I love Dune. Oh, Dune I rocks. I love Dune too. <laughs> then you can <laughs>
1: <laughs> by the way if anybody thinks that then they're really like not uh with it because just look at the popularity of star wars i mean it's like one of the biggest most epic trilogy like not trilogies now what is it how many how many i don't even know aren't there nine movies out there at least
0: Well, it's nine over yeah nine was the whole what it was supposed to be i think you just finished number nine yeah it was the last yeah one. i mean
1: it's one of the most popular genres actually uh so yeah. yeah, but that's a good point, getting to speak to them beforehand. And it's funny because on my show, I found that I would try not to talk too much to them about their actual topics from the show beforehand because that way when we did actually tell the stories or the or the excitement and when we were, when we were actually doing the show, it was completely natural. And that was how I did my show. So um, cause then what would happen is they come in, we'd start chatting while I'm getting my hair and makeup done or something. And they're there a little early or extra early. And they start telling me all these great things. And then by the time we get to start doing the show, it's, it's like they've already processed that thought and it's gone. And they're trying to remember what they said. And then they try to repeat it. And it's just not the same. So I try to avoid getting into details pre-interview. Um, and I think that works really well, especially if you're doing like a live free format type show like this one. Right. But
0: one thing that happened to me when I was in Atlanta at Dragon Con and I was, um, I went early, like my normal policy. And I, I spoke to the, uh, to the host and, um, said, are you like science fiction and fantasy? Oh, I love it. And I talked about yeah i 'm here at Dragon Con with some of our different judges for the contest, and I happen to mention Larry Elmore, who is our illustrator judge, one of our illustrator judges, I said Larry Elmore, I used to work for him i was a, I modeled for him once, and she went a whole tear on that, and that made the interview double in length just on that point of we didn 't really get into a whole lot about it, but just finding that yeah. common thing that you know all of a sudden it just totally expanded what the interview turned out to be because of the fact that Larry Elmore was there, she knew him, had worked for him. It was one of those, who would have ever known? It definitely wouldn't have come up in the uh, interview. Or if it did, it would have had to have been suppressed because we were already rolling at right. that point. So
1: that's true. That was I a, mean, that's, a, that's a great thing that can happen. I, I do agree with meeting beforehand. Definitely establishing some kind of relationship beforehand is, is very helpful. And that's a great story because you guys ended up finding a whole another topic to include, you know, a subtopic include in your interview and it's not that you shouldn't discuss it at all it's not that i don't discuss anything with the guests beforehand like we'll sort of say yeah we're gonna talk about this and this and this and that's where something like that could come out but like if i start specifically talking about like oh so you just released your book and then they'll be like yeah you know and then that enthusiasm and that response is a little bit lost that's the only that
0: makes sense i can think with that you know that's something that's that's the interview but, um, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, the, the point of getting to know and feeling more comfortable with, with the host or, I mean, for you, it's, you've got the drill down, you know, you, you've got your procedure that you do, like you've already booked the people cause you're your own producer. So you've actually worked out who you're getting. So you're getting somebody you want and you're pretty certain that the person is going to be a, a good interview cause you've already done your homework on it. Yeah. But it's, I think it's important for a guest to probably listen to some of, like you mentioned at the beginning of this, they, they listen to some of the uh, interviews or episodes to get a feel for like, what do you like? What type of questions you have? Are you very familiar? Are you very formal? So that they can better uh, prepare and um, anticipate what's going to come up.
1: Oh, definitely. I think it's good because then you sort of get the personality and what type of a feel that show has. And, uh, definitely a good homework yeah. point. And, you know, when I'm looking for guests, um, that's another thing that I that I wanted to mention is that if you have something out there that's something new that's happening, it's a really good idea to, sorry, I don't know if this is a good segue, but I just wanted to mention, it's a really good idea to put out some sort of press release and get it published and get it put out on as many, uh, you know, there's Newswire and there's a few other Um, things that will get it picked up on different websites and blogs. And that that helps you to get chosen for interviews, too, when people are looking for people related to that topic. And, of course, probably people already know about, you know, using their website blog and meta tags and things like that that help that come up when people are searching on Google. That's something really good to learn about if you're trying to promote yourself these days. But that's like when I'm looking for guests, obviously the internet is a big tool. And when the people that I'm working with are looking for guests as well. Other than that, we can also get referrals from um, agents or, um, you know, managers. So if you do have uh, a literary agent, they'll send out, you know, requests for interviews. And that can be very helpful. So anyway, that's just a whole other segment about how to get the interest and how to get onto a show or, um, you know, even a podcast as well.
0: Have you ever had people just write to you and saying, can I get on your show?
1: Definitely. I have, and you can do that. You can reach out personally. And I, and I recommend it because my show that I created, um, you know, we, I didn't have an agent or a manager or anything like that. I just pretty much the winning thing that I've always followed is go and reach out yourself directly and find out, of course, find out how it's done by other people as well. So you can also, you know, use that tool, but I definitely reach out directly to people. I also use LinkedIn. I think it's a really great tool to contact people and be, for them to have a personal relationship with you. It's very helpful. and to use even Facebook. You know, when I first started the show, I did my first episode. I, had, I got it edited finally, which I didn't know how to do at the time. And, uh, you know, I started sending out links to people on Facebook. And I, I wrote personal messages to them all. And I got a lot of response from that. And I even got that's, that's actually how I first got my show picked up on a local TV station because somebody said, oh, this looks really great. I know someone who might want this. And personal referral and personal word of mouth is really one of the strongest ways to get recommended for a show. So if you establish some kind of personal relationship, even if, let's say you make a contact with somebody at a station or in some sort of media outlet on LinkedIn and then you say, you know, how can I get onto this? Can you help me? Do you have any advice for me uh, as to what would be a good way to, to get onto this show? And, you know, if they're a nice person, they'll usually try to think of some way to help you. Um, and if you do get somebody that's just like a, a closed door and not helpful at all, don't sweat it. Find another person. There's lots of nice people actually in this industry. So you just have to move on to the next one and talk to the next person. Um, but obviously, very, be very friendly and be sincere and explain what you're trying to do. And, and I think that's a really, really important way to expand your, your business, your projects. It's, it's definitely been my successful action over the last seven years since I started the show. And also, you know, when I started doing distribution for my show and getting my show picked up onto um, national it was because I reached out. It was because I kept always putting something out there myself. If I had waited for other people, it would have never happened. So that's definitely important. Yeah.
0: No, it was great. When we, when um, you had Orson Scott Card on your show, he hadn't done media for a while. And so I said, no, no, Kimberly's uh, really good. He said, okay, good. Uh, I'm trusting you. And he just, <laughs> he had your show up on his website for like, five or six years.
1: That's amazing. He was so, so fun. It was, I was so thrilled to have him on the show. And I mean, obviously he's a legend in, especially in the sci-fi genre. Ender's game is just one of the most well-known and he was so funny and friendly. And it was really, really cool to have him on the show. And, uh, you know, it's still available. I think that interview is still available online. Uh, Back when I was, when I was bleach blonde. So <laughs> don't be shocked if you see it. <laughs> but, Yeah, he was really great. And he's also a judge on the Writers of the Future. So, or he has been a judge, I should say, right?
0: Yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's one of the one who teaches the workshop too, along with Tim Powers and, and Dave Wolverton.
1: Yeah, so, so awesome.
0: So, yes. So now just um, a few other questions from before that I wanted to be able to make sure I just fully uh, tied it up. I, I was talking before about um, coming earlier, mm-hmm. but the antithesis of that is arriving late. So that's usually the death knoll of any guest to arrive late. I don't know if you've ever just said, okay, good, you missed your slot and that's it. Or what's the...
1: Um-
0: any protocol that person can expect to have happen if they if they come late for the interview?
1: I think, generally speaking, obviously you don't want to be too late. So there's a bit of a smudge there that you can deal with, you know, fifteen minutes late or whatever. Or a lot of, uh, of course, most productions will not appreciate it, especially because they're on a strict you know clock. Um, what yeah. was interesting with my show, which is a little bit different, was that we would shoot so many shows in one day, all at the same, in the same day. And so there was times when one interview might go a little bit longer than we expected. And so I always tried to leave a lot of space in between just in case, but if it was, if they were extra early, give or take, you know, we just made sure we had food around and that they were comfortable, but I think 15 minutes early is a good safe bet for, you know, any, any time when you have to actually show up somewhere. And, you know, even if you wanted to go half an hour early, just in case, if you have some sort of script they're gonna give you, I mean, on our show, we didn't have scripts, so, but if they do, and you wanna feel more comfortable, you wanna go over it with somebody there, then that's always a good idea too. But I think generally right now, most interviews are being done online, even, you know, the big shows, big talk shows even, uh, are not even shooting them on in set right now, so in that case, you definitely yeah. Need to I mean, be on time.
0: Hopefully, that's going to change.
1: <laughs> I yeah. hope so too. <laughs> yeah, I really hope
0: yeah. So too. But here, like like here in Los Angeles, traffic can be absolutely horrific. Sometimes you can have an accident and it jams it up, and all of a sudden now you're um, you just lost half an hour because of a of a traffic jam. Oh yeah, that's very so. common.
1: <laughs> unfortunately.
0: So proper management would be to, to call in or to, to call you, or just so people can know, like, because those things yep. happen, you know, you all of a sudden you find out that- Yeah. On, then to-
1: Yeah, I think I think sending a text ahead of time if you feel like it, something's going to cause a delay, that's a very good courtesy. And that's always helpful for everybody just to coordinate. That's a very good point. And that's at least one good thing about doing lots of online interviews these days is you don't have to deal with the traffic as much. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, yeah very, sure. true.
0: very true. Okay. Now, another area I was going to ask about that I didn't touch on was on um, attire, dress and makeup. So let's first of all, you talked about you made a comment earlier about being in, in comfortable clothes, uncomfortable clothes. So what are appropriate clothes to wear? And I don't mean like a, necessarily suit versus just a, a pullover sweatshirt Mm -hmm. but but we can talk about that too but also in terms of color and patterns you know because there's more is, Is it used to be a big factor on on television at least where you get those funny squiggle lines that show up because of certain patterns on the shirt so that's true cover a little bit yeah about the dress like what's what's appropriate what's good what's what's actually not good and i know there's the what is cool and and quote unquote fashionable in the junky looking what's what's the actual (laughs) you know proper protocol um
1: well okay so i i know this isn't this is a a question you were going to ask me so i kind of actually came up with a few things one of them is obviously patterns are not as friendly for television mainly if it's really tight lines so if you have um you know stripes that are really close together or if you have plaid um, it's not going to, it's going to look really weird, no matter, no matter what you do, it's, it's, it doesn't work. So most of the shows do have some sort of a stylist person that'll probably say, Hey, you need a change. And we've got something for you right here, depending on what level of show you're on. Um, but I also recommend using a stylist, which I know can sound fancy and, uh, you know, unnecessary but there are tons of resources that stylists have and they can do a quick consultation with you before you go on a show and be like, you know, they'll do a zoom even, or they'll do a FaceTime with you and help you pick out uh, something that's very flattering for your shape at that time. And I think maybe people don't always keep track of their, their weight gain and loss and their clothes may or may not fit in the same way. And having, well-fitting clothes really makes a huge difference. So it's a good thing to check on that. And, you know, definitely more solid colors. I mean, we had, I had a pinup show, so we wore a lot of, you know, more loud sort of clothing and, and dresses that had patterns on them. But to be honest, my favorite shows were the ones, and I think that they are more appealing aesthetically, uh, where, where there was more solid colors. So I think that's the same, you know, for you as a guest just to make sure you don't have those type of patterns. Your clothes are well-fitting. You can find a cheap stylist consultant. I shouldn't say cheap because I'm not trying to cheapen them. They're very valuable. But I mean, it doesn't have to cost an arm
0: and a leg. Yeah,
1: it doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg to get um, a stylist consultation. And sometimes they'll even have great resources for clothes to help you go shopping ahead of time, which is even better. Uh, and it might be things you would never think of. So, as a professional and as an artist, putting your best foot forward when you're on camera, I think, is really important. But then again, there's also the very casual podcast shows, which I think you have to sort of get a feel for in advance. Like if they're always wearing hoodies and baseball hats on that show, and you show up, you know, dressed up with a with a suit and everything you're, it's not going to fit. So you might, you want to sort of see the style of the show as well. Um, and then you'll, right. you know, it, it won't contrast so much.
0: Okay. Now, thank you on that in terms of, of colors. And so even if a person says, okay, I, I got it, but I'm not going to do a stylist. I just, I'm, I just can't, I can't deal with that. You know, just in terms of straight colors, then like if you're fair skin, if you're, a medium tone or dark tone? Any particular? Like, okay, if you're, if you look like a, a slug, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, you're so white, you're pasty. Then, don't wear white shirts. You know, don't wear super light clothes because it's just going to accentuate the lack of of color. That's true. You know, that you type can, of stuff. You
1: can look washed out. Um, there's another thing that you can do, just as a general thing, which is to have your your colors done, which I know sounds funny, but my mom was actually um, in the modeling world when she was younger, and th- that was very big back then, and and it still actually applies today to have complementary colors for your skin tone, and you can have that done, you know, it just once, and it'll help your entire wardrobe. So that's one thing to to definitely keep in mind, and you can even Google it, and you can look up, you know, color wheels and complimentary tones and things like that. I would say try to avoid really bright neon colors. And that's that's probably the most helpful tip I can give with, you know, using the color, a color wheel or a colorist to do your colors.
0: Okay. Now the subject of makeup in at least on television and also on your show, everybody on your side of the table has makeup. And, Mm -hmm.
1: um, well, we, we always did makeup on our guests too. And like, if they showed up with a not, not really makeup done, we would do their makeup. Uh, some girls would like to show up with their own makeup done and maybe we would just touch it up. But when we had males on the show, we would also just do a light, you know, sort of, you wouldn't notice the makeup, but it's very much like a little bit of powder if they're they' if they're shiny you don't want to be shiny so we would have our makeup people make sure they're not shiny and usually usually if you're on like a bigger show they'll have makeup people there for you and they'll even come and like try to help dab away uh, if you get a little bit moist or sweaty or whatever during the interview they'll have people there to help like you know cover that up and 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 but that's that's another thing is don't be too warm. Don't dress, dress for the uh, temperature um, so that you don't sweat because nobody wants to be having, you know, sweat dripping and having it showing in their shirts, which does happen too. Um, and then you have to be aware of that. And it's like can make you self-conscious. So try to wear clothes that are, that are breath- breathable. It's another note. But in terms of makeup for men, of course, unless you're trying to do like some sort of a dark goth, Thing. they're not gonna to do too much on your face, but they will try to highlight your features. They will definitely cover stuff up if you have a blemish. Um, and they'll even put maybe some colored chapstick on for men. I've seen that before. And just just give you a little bit more shape because you're gonna have bright lights on you. And especially if it's on a, on a big set, that washes out your facial features. And it's it's amazing the difference uh, if you don't have makeup on and you do and it's it's funny for me. I mean, as a woman and as a host of the show, I've seen so many different makeup styles on my face over the over the years, but it's it's so important to actually have some features that stand out and it, the the camera does lose that definition, although I mean nowadays. They're doing 4K, really high definition stuff. So, so you almost kind of want to be a little bit further away. But, but anyways, definitely the, the, you, you should have some powder and some, somebody there to help you with that if you're a male that doesn't have makeup of your own. And usually there, there will be somebody on set. Don't feel uncomfortable that they're going to do that for you.
0: Yeah, I think the, main, your, the key game there is that you gave is that all the lights will wash you out. And it'll make you look, um, even if you have some color, it'll it'll make you look washed out and pasty. So you need to be able to offset the heavy lights.
1: And that's why they'll even sort of maybe darken your eyebrows a little bit, because those will disappear. So it's just funny things that you wouldn't think of normally.
0: Right. Okay, so in terms of weight, now you made a comment also about weight, like, What's the datum in terms of uh, a camera doing to a person's weight? Does it make you get heavier or does it make you get lighter? So
1: the common thing that people say is that the camera puts on 10 pounds. I think really what it is is that you don't have the same depth perception as you do in person. So you can't see that that person is actually, that that their body goes further back. So it sort of flattens your, your lookout in a, in that way because it's not the same as real 3d, you know, in person seeing somebody. So they tend to want people to be skinnier. Like women are always put in that situation where we were supposed to lose weight and look skinnier on camera. Obviously that's been going on for a long time, but uh, definitely, that's another aspect of color too, because if you have really light colored clothing, then it looks bigger. So you you have to balance that out too. If you have, you know, something that's a bit darker, you, you're gonna, it's gonna help slenderize you on camera. But other than that, I would say, go to the gym and work out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely sure. a good idea.
0: Yeah. Okay. So uh, we've covered a lot of things here. And uh, I'm just curious, like, are there any questions that, I've, that I didn't ask you? Because it's such a broad-reaching subject, doing media interviews, preparing for them. Is, is it good for a person to be able to, to drill with somebody else just to pretend like, okay, you're the host and I'm the guest, this drill asking questions or anything like that in terms of preparing, getting ready for a show?
1: I think like if you've never done an interview before then yes, you should try that. You should try just practicing with some friends and start to get the feel for it. If you're like, if you're nervous and you've never done one before, I'm sure that would be very, very helpful. Um, I mean, I think that the main thing is with the free format that we have today with podcast, just make a lot of mental notes, go through the things that you would want to bring up, make just bullet point notes about what you what you want to make sure you talk about and just be comfortable and be yourself those are those are really really important and you know you can practice and you can say things but once you're there it's just going to be a matter of realizing that they want to know about you they want to hear what you have to say they want to hear your story so go ahead and tell it
0: okay good now, the other points that you had—that oh, you know, God, I'm waiting for you to ask me this question that I didn't ask you yet.
1: Um, well, and in, in, you mean for for today's for today's interview? I I did want yeah. to mention something because over the years, I as I learned how to distribute my show, I ended up also wanting to help other people distribute their shows and movies as well, and so I got into distribution and because I also used to work in, you know, on developing shows, I also saw things from the other side, where you're receiving projects. And I just thought it might be a good thing to mention that too. Because not only, you know, can I give a little bit of advice on what it's like to be a guest on a show, I also wanted to mention, I'm sure that a lot of writers and authors want to have their stories picked up and made into a movie. I mean, not all of them do, but some people really want that. And they may not know how to do that. And I've actually had a few writers recently that I've been in touch with where I'm like, this is a really great story. We should send it to Netflix. Let's put it together or whatever, you know? And there's a few things that I think every author should have when they want to pitch it or want to get it picked up as a movie. And I just wanted to mention those really quick, which which is that you should have Please a treatment.
0: Do. Please do, yes. Okay,
1: <laughs> cool. So, so there should be a treatment, which would be, let's say you have a finished book uh, and you have 20 chapters. So you, you have a log line, which is like a, a one sentence description. Then you have a synopsis, which you've seen obviously on the back of books and things. It's like the, a, a paragraph or two, a description of the story. And then you have the full treatment, which is a description of the book, usually chapter by chapter uh, explaining the storyline. And you want to keep it kind of short. Um, If it's too long, they may not read the whole thing, but just, you know, maybe one paragraph per chapter. Um, And then also put a cast list, put your main character list. So, and put the, like their age range and basic description. So that way it can be easy, more easily set, they can think with it on casting. Like, oh, oh, it's got somebody that's um, a male that's between 40 and 50 and he's, uh, you know, Caucasian. Okay, well that could be, you know, whoever that they might think of as a, as a filmmaker. And those things just help it transition from a book to a movie project. Um, so that's something that I think anybody should have prepared for their, fin- for their finished books. There's a few resources, too, that I wanted to mention for pitching. One thing, too, is to remember to copyright, whether you want to do it the, you know, the quick and easy way of, of mailing it to yourself. That's always been something people say you can do. But I, I recommend actually filing a copyright online, which you can do. It's not hard at all. Um, so you should, uh, you should copyright your script, you should copyright the story, uh, the treatment, all of it, just file it together. And then when you send it out, don't just send it out like randomly to all these studios because they'll all have a policy that says we do not accept unsolicited scripts and they'll still keep it anyway. In fact, this happened to me. I sent out a, a script that had to do with Martin Luther King And it was a story about what was happening in the town. And it was based on somebody's real life experiences in the military during that period of time. And I was like, this is such a great movie. We've got to get this made. And I sent it to like everyone under the sun, moon and stars. And most of them sent them all back. But one of of them that I called as well, because I was very persistent on this one studio that I thought would be a good fit, said to me, Oh, we don't make these kind. We don't make movies. We just do this type of shows. And then they ended up making a movie almost exactly like the one that I sent them. So just remember that when you're sending it, don't send it out just everywhere and spam everybody with your story, because it's unfortunately easy for them if they really like it and they don't want to deal with you or pay you to take it and sort of alter it a little bit. So that's why I would say it's really good to have. Um, Lawyer. Even if you just have in, someone in your back pocket as a lawyer, send it from a lawyer. That way, they are a little bit more like, "Oh, we need to, we need to play by the books on this, and make sure that you get interest beforehand. Establish who it is that you're working with, who it is that you're sending your pitch to. Um, there's also services like InkTip, which is really good. Uh, they 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 put out requests. They're like, "We're looking for this kind of uh, movie. We're looking for this genre. We're looking for you know, something that features young women who are strong or whatever it is, they'll put something out. And if you get their updates, you can always submit through InkTip. Uh, another one is InfoList, which you can definitely get a lot of requests for different movie projects. And I think the studios all use those as well. And a lot of the executives that, that are in creative will use both of these resources to help find scripts because they're always looking for the next great story. And a lot of people I think tend to want to create something that's based on a novel or an existing story that's doing well, like existing book series that's doing well, that's going to give them even more impetus to want to use that and make it into a movie because I think they're going to make more box office sales because it has more of a fan base. So if you do have books like that, if you do have series that's out like that, that's very important to uh, push that and say, you know, these are this these are the books that we've published and and just give statistics on your fan base if you can um, so i guess that those are just some of the points that i wanted to mention when it comes to trying to get your your stories made into tv and film
0: that's great thank you very much for that as this is the rise and illustrates the future podcast we do this to be able to provide that extra i guess leg up for the uh, aspiring writer and artist to get there at this point to be able to get themselves well known and well thought of as uh, as a writer or an artist and this is obviously something that you know we teach in the uh, in the workshop but because it's been so well uh, requested over many different interviews and on on the various social media responses and also just as one of the uh, important points of the workshop itself. It's something that, you know, that um, Mr. Hubbard originally was very keen on, where, um, you know, art is the quality of communication. And if you're going to have a lot of attention on the actual um, story or the illustration, the the painting itself, as that quality of communication, you also need to have the quality of communication on doing interviews and promoting yourself and promoting your, your story or your art to be able to get across and let people understand like, wow, this really is something I need to check out. So I think that's, you know, why what we're talking about here is going to be very helpful and uh, hopefully gets a few more people that much better known and off to a, a good career start for them.
1: I, I think that's a great uh, helpful thing that you're, help- that you're giving all of these authors and artists as a tool. It is really important because the more people know about you, the more people hear your name, the more people are aware of the fact that you exist and that your book exists, the more likely they are going to go and click that link and buy it, you know, on Amazon or wherever it is that you're selling it. Um, so so it really just helps drive up your book sales. The more notoriety that you can create, which like like I said before is just go out there and reach out to people as much as you can in terms of getting to do an interview. It's, it's really highly recommended. from me, it's definitely the way to meet people and, to get connected and, you know, be added to people's blogs, especially on social media nowadays. There's so many different outlets. You can do uh, TikTok videos with people. You can do Instagram lives. There's all kinds of people doing interviews now. Interviewing people has become much more for the public than it used to be, which I think is fantastic. And there's a lot of people you can reach out to on just Instagram and, and message them and say, you'd like to do a live with them. You know, you never know. So there you go. That's right.
0: <laughs> great. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Kimberly. Thank
1: you so much, John. It's been really great getting to talk to you about this. And I'm, I'm hopeful that this will be helpful to your guests and your other artists and authors. It's really exciting. Thanks so much for asking me all these questions.
0: Sure. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the writers and illustrators of the future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We have also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network, where you can find these podcasts as well by just typing in Writers of the Future. Again, I highly recommend you read the Writers of the Future series. These are, after all, who our judges have selected as the best of the best new writers and artists. They can be found at writersofthefuture.com, at Amazon, or wherever you get your books. Writers and illustrators of the future are contests created by L. Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy and again thank you very much Kimberly
1: thank you so much and I'll keep posted on the next podcast
0: that's great
1: all right bye-bye take care